All right, so welcome to the Deadly Analysis Podcast. My name is Noah Adam, uh, and I am here today uh, with three of my friends, and we are going to talk about a movie about a creep. So this should be a really fun film to review. It's very different than all of the other ones that we've been looking into. It's a completely different genre of horror, um, and I, I, I'm going to throw it out there and say that this is maybe one of the only horror films that fall into a subgenre called mumblecore, and we'll get into that in a little bit, but very different than some of the other ones we've been doing in terms of budget, in terms of acting, in terms of the style of the film. It's one of the few uh, found footage films that I actually really enjoy, so, uh, so we'll get into that in a minute. But the film is called Creep. It's on Netflix. Um, I'm going to start by asking a, uh, a really simple question to everyone here, and that is, have you ever been in a scenario where you have met someone for the first time and thought, there is something really off with this person? That happened to me about uh, two years ago. I'm going to share this story with you, and this is actually, when I watched Creep, this is one of the only things I could think about when I was watching it. Uh, my wife and I, true story, were looking for a roommate. We were living in Orange County, California, which is stupidly expensive. And um, we were looking for a roommate. We kind of always had a roommate while we were living in Southern California. And so we put up a Craigslist ad for the first time. There, there's the first bad sign. Right? So we put up a Craigslist ad and we get someone to come and uh, just here. We have an open room. We have an open bathroom. Here's how much you know we're looking to rent it out for. And this guy comes in and he, immediately there's, he's got that crazy look. It's so weird for me to say that, but like, have you ever just looked at somebody and like their eyes kind of twitch a certain way? There's something wrong, right? Oh no, like there's you, a crazy look. There's there a crazy is. Look. Perfect. I know I'm not alone in this. This makes me happy. All right. So the crazy look happens, and I think, okay, I'm being stupidly judgmental. Whatever. Like I'm very self-conscious. I don't mean to be judgmental. So I bring the person in, and I we start talking to him and asking him questions. I forget his name at this point. I just really wanted him to leave very quickly after a. a particular point in this conversation. But anyway, we come up, we show him the room, we ask what he does. He's an auditor for auditors. That should have been the other sign, right? So he audits auditors. I, how that happens, I don't, but okay. So he comes in and we, we tell him this is how much it is. We show him the room. Seems a little weird, but then he, you know, he starts asking normal questions like, okay, how long are you looking for the lease? Yada, yada, yada. And then he like is as sincerely as I am sitting here talking to you, just nonchalantly looks at my wife and says, um, if I started a fire in the room, would you know? And I, I like, I, I had no idea how to respond to that. I, I actually, like, the immediate thing you go to is he's joking, right? Because who the fuck says that? And so I was like, what? Like, I was like, I, 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 like, I had no idea how to respond to that. My wife's looking at me, and I have to respond. And so I say, like, well, what do you mean? And he goes, like, I just, like, could you hear me through the wall if there was, like, a, a fire or a noise? could you hear me through the wall? And I was like, probably, yeah, yes, probably. And he was like, oh, okay. And that's all he said. And it was one of the weirdest moments of my entire life. I had to figure out in the next 10 seconds, A, how to get this guy out of my house, and I had to segue the conversation into any, like anything else, right? Like this was sort of early when we brought him in. And how do you do that, right? And so what, what really struck me about Creep was sort of that weird social sort of the, the faux pas that happen linguistically, socially between two people in a conversation, shit that just rubs you the wrong way and makes you feel weird. So I feel like when I was watching Creep, that same conversation that I had with that person just sort of, it, it took that emotion and gave me an hour and a half of it 
Like it was the weirdest unsettling. You know what's really great thing. about this story? Yeah. The, I like this story just because while you're telling it, you got Antonio over here just munching on some food. Like this is the greatest story he's waiting for the end for when you guys get, you know, chopped to bits and <laughs> put in a refrigerator. Like it's so fabulous. <laughs> and this well, is why this is about him. <laughs> <laughs> and that could have happened, right? Like I Daniel Daniel tells a story much better than I. Like we seriously were so freaked out by this. It was like and it wasn't even so much what he said, it was how he said it. He had kind of it was like it was normal. It was like it was the thing you're supposed to ask. It was like, this is important that I ask these people what would happen if I lit a fire in the room. I have no idea how that comes off to someone as a normal thing to say. And like, what made it worse is like most of the other questions were pretty normal. Like you could understand why he would ask about like, oh, like what time do you guys leave in the morning now? Actually, when I look back on it, maybe he was asking when we left so you could start fires. Who the fuck knows? But, like, just one of those really weird things. And so when I watched Creep, I just thought, like, oh, my God. Like, this is, this is, this is just a perfect reminder of that, that moment. I had that kind of same connection. So I guess, um, have you guys ever had anything like that where you met someone? Maybe not even for the first time, but just you, you had an interaction with somebody that just left you feeling like, no. Nope. There's something wrong here. Has that ever happened to you? All the time. <laughs> um, I remember one time we were hanging out in this room. There's a bunch of people hanging out, and this guy was like, I feel like we're really close. Like, I could just do whatever I want. Is it all right if I take off my pants? And I'm like, no, no, it's, no, you need to keep your pants on. That would be great if you could do that. I would like your pants to be between you and me. Um, I, I think some people are just socially awkward, maybe. Um, I'd, I'd like to think that they're not all murderers yeah, i think the very first line in this film is uh not the first line but the first line from mark duplass who by the way just before i even go any further like what a fucking awesome job that guy did at playing a creep that guy played the best fucking creep you could ever ask for in a film the moment he steps onto the screen and you see him you're just like no nope i can't i can't deal with this but here's the thing i've heard some stuff online people are like oh it was too obvious that he was a killer so the fuck what? That's what makes it fucking scarier. Because you're starting to question yourself, and, and this is exactly what you do when you get around people like that, right? You, you're like, there's something off. I'm going to die if I hang out with this person. <laughs> but you want to be nice, and you want to be a sweet person and give people the benefit of the doubt and, and not imagine that they're murdering rapist killers. But, you know, maybe they are. And this just goes into my own social anxiety and why I coop myself up in the house all day probably. <laughs> Uh, I have a hard time trusting uh, pretty much anyone. <laughs> so you're totally right. The whole film, and we'll, I guess we'll get we'll get into this in a little bit, um, is that social dance. It's that it's that dance between the taboo and what's considered normal. And then when someone breaks that, when someone commits a social faux pas, how far that's taken, right? Like how uh, is it just awkward, or is it awkward and dangerous, right? Um, this film took advantage of me as a person. I feel like that sounds really weird. Let me rephrase that. This, this, I feel like I just like I'm insinuating the film raped me or something. Let me take a step back. Uh, this, this film really played with my. It's better. Played with my emotions as an empathetic individual because when I was watching it, I felt like there were scenes in the film where I would go, "No, I'm, I'm done. I'm going to leave at that point." If I was, if I was um, the cameraman, I would leave at that point. But then. 
the best part of this film to me was the fact that it, it would give you anxiety, it would give you a huge shot of anxiety, but then take it away slowly, right? And then you would go, well, like the guy's obviously off his rocker a little bit, but he's got cancer and, and you know, I, just, I feel bad for him. And then something, bam, another shot, bam, and you would feel like, oh my God, I got to get out of here. And then he would go, look, I'm sorry, like I just, I don't talk to many people and the, I know this is, like it would just do that so perfectly where you would go, Am I just a bad person for wanting to leave? Like, I feel awkward, but, like, if I just left right now, what a douche I would be. Do you know what I mean? The film did a nice, uh, just a perfect dance with those sort of emotions. I, I would definitely agree with that, and that comes off in, uh, in sort of the way that I saw the antagonist and probably perhaps some of my own uh, past experience. So when you asked the question originally about if I've ever encountered somebody um, – who sort of creeped me out in the same way that the the antagonist of this film did. And I suppose the way that I uh, am interpreting that might be a little bit different than the way you guys are picking up on what makes somebody creepy in that way. So for me, in this person, it was the fact that it seemed like every aspect of my interaction with them was pre-planned, right? Like they had this level of control over their conversations and their affect and even parts of their life that it just came off as unnatural and, and sort of disconnected in an emotional way. So that's really what made this person stand out to me. And I saw these same sort of traits in, uh, in Joseph. So you go into this movie and, okay, you know, this is the bad guy, right? You know, he's going to be the killer. But the way he was able to just in, in such an understated, subtle way, demonstrate these kinds of emotional manipulations that you're talking about, having complete control over himself, over complete control of the affective, um, you know, interactions going on there. And that's sort of what I saw um, most, I think, that really just stood out to me. What about you, Antonio? Have you ever had anything weird like that happen to you at all? Yeah, I've, I've had a few different weird experiences like that. Honestly, the one that came to mind, which is probably the 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 least like you know culturally appropriate is when I went to a Pentecostal church. I went to uh, I, my my mom got really into this uh, messianic Judaism thing where it was like you know Christianity but with a Jewish twist, so Jewish, right? Um, and uh, and they, there was this uh, church in the Phoenix area where I was living at the time that happened to be part of this same movement, and so my mother encouraged me to go there. So I went and hit them up, and it turned out that they were not only Messianic Jewish, but also extremely Pentecostal. And I definitely got the weird, crazy, like, these people would do some very strange things if with, with very little prompting. You know what I mean? You could get these people to do some, and, and I, it was immediately apparent to me as an outsider that there was, like, an element of suggestibility playing into all this. Like, it wasn't actually, the Holy Spirit wasn't roaring through the church making everyone dance or whatever. These were just people who were being persuaded, right? And so the the ease with which they were persuaded really creeped me out because it made them really forward. It made them really unafraid in dealing with you. And they would like go up to you and hug you and like say, oh, the Lord just talked to me and said some very specific things about your future to me. And, you know, and that was really creepy. Oh, no, that's a huge part of this film, right? Like, I'm one of the notes that I put down is how often uh, he hugs uh, Aaron. Uh, there's so many. The first scene, uh, he hugs him, right? It's just, it, it's like every kind of weird taboo that you could throw in there, uh, uh, we see Joseph do. I also noted that his Joseph's first words in this movie are, oh, my God. Remember, he goes, oh, my God. Oh, my God, we're going to have a great time. Like that, to start that way, dude. 
really like that just when I first saw that scene I was like oh god like it, I just had anxiety like I had anxiety there's something about skipping all of the necessary sort of social foreplay that happens before you can say anything like that to somebody there's something about skipping that that just leaves you a little creeped out I think when you skip that part that's where the creepiness comes in it's like whoa there's a dance that we're supposed to be doing here uh, you're, you're supposed to first ask me if I'd like to dance and then you know Start yeah. out a little slow, then you might move your hands down to my butt, but you don't you don't just go straight to that. That's whoa, you went too far. So um, he missed that dance. He just went straight into it, like oh, we're we're hugging. Oh my God, this is gonna be amazing. We're gonna be so close. It's like no, <laughs> stop that right now. I did think that uh, that the creep performance was absolutely brilliant. One of the things that I actually was really sad about was when the movie. Um, after the first scuffle where you sit and then you go to the scene where he's dragging the the plastic bags along you know and blah blah, blah. I, I actually wish that the movie had kept going from kind of that premise like that 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 um, that Joseph had become the cameraman at that point to me that would have been much more immediate and it, it was kind of disappointing to me that they cut back and actually let Aaron get off the property and then sort of developed from there because like I said, it requires an increasing suspension of disbelief. Like, he calls the police, and, and for some reason it doesn't occur to him to say, I have this guy confessing to rape on tape. Can you can we get uh, somebody to investigate this? Like, it doesn't even occur to him. And it, it just doesn't, it, it increasingly stretches plausibility that he would put up with this shit. The other thing is that the character of Joseph, as established in the first act, is a really interesting, compelling character. And at the end, we just it's revealed that there's nothing real to it, that it's all been completely a ruse from beginning to end. We don't know anything about this character other than that he enjoys exploiting people. Like, he's a complete cipher otherwise. Um, and so I feel like if we had built off, you know, if his name really were Joseph, if he maybe did actually have a brain tumor, you know, that would actually be a really provocative horror movie to make, right? If he has, if he has a brain tumor and he starts doing deranged things, how morally culpable is he? And how exploitative are we being? You know what I mean? That would be an interesting question to ask. But you're right. So, like, I, how much more interesting would it have been, right, if you would have found out that um, Joseph actually did have some, like, cancer or something that was taking his life, right? Because you're right. Like, just saying, oh, he's a sociopath. I, that's, like, it just doesn't – there's so many more interesting ways you could cut it. You know what I mean? Oh, he's just – he's a crazy fucking sociopath. How many movies do we have like that with people that do that? But the idea, like, this would be his going out call or something just makes it even more than that. Yeah, and I, I really feel like the movie was at its strongest when it, like, um, when it's playing on our sense of consensus reality, right? Where, where we all kind of agree that there are certain boundaries and that we have a certain range of possible intentions and that we wouldn't do certain things without a good reason, a good motivation to do it. And, and so there's, there's sort of an assumption of empathy, there's an assumption of cooperation, there's, an, there's a lot of pro-social assumptions that go into every social interaction, right? Yeah. And it's really interesting to see, um, to see Joseph play on that, to, to see him exploit the assumptions that, you know, oh, well, maybe he's just a little, you know, we, we, we make a lot of excuses for each other because we, each of us know ourselves to be such flawed beings, right? And so we make excuses for one another as well. And so he's this is this is how sociopaths operate is by exploiting the excuses that people are willing to make for one another for their own profit. 
rather than just using it as like space to live in like the rest of us do. What I really feel, where I really feel the movie went wrong is it kind of tried to do cute things on two different subgenres at the same time, and it and it kind of ended up weakened on both fronts as a result. I feel like it tried to be cute on the genre of the stalker movie through the very, very compelling performance that they put in. And I feel like they also tried to be kind of innovate on the genre of the found footage movie at the same time. And I feel like it, they, if they kind of picked one and run with it, like it, 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 maybe if it hadn't been a found footage movie, if it had just been a straight up third person movie and they'd just focused on the stalkerificness, um, it would have been a stronger product. Or if it had just been about, you know, doing some clever things with found footage because they did one particularly clever thing and that was blacking the whole screen out for the discussion of what, where he confesses that he raped his wife. And at first I was watching that and I was thinking to myself, this is pretty, before I knew where the whole thing was going, I was like, this is pretty gimmicky. I was like, eh, yeah, found footage. Yeah, I know we get it, blah, blah, blah. And, and as I watched it, I was thinking to myself, you know, your brain fills in so many details when it's delivered that compellingly and it's that kind of interesting of a twist that that really it would have been weakened by having that action take place on screen. It was actually strengthened by having the quote-unquote camera off for that scene. And so in that moment, they really did kind of innovate on the found footage genre in one, at least one technical way, in that you can really deliver some really interesting shit with the camera off, and they found a new, neat new way to do that. So it had moments of brilliance on both fronts, but I feel like it tried to mix those elements to its own detriment. You know, like like being a stalker, being being a stalker movie, you can have, you know, the stalker keep following the guy around after he leaves the initial property, um, but with found footage, it becomes increasingly weirder to be like, why is he filming himself? Why hasn't he called the police? You know, you can make up much better justifications for that off camera. So I feel like kind of mixing those two, it re really ended up uh, weakening the fabric of both and, and dragging the movie down as a whole. Although it does show really promising creative elements on both fronts as well. So a good amount of the movie the parts that I think we all like the most, the first half, the first three quarters, everything before really Joseph and Aaron have that interaction at the park um, was done to a large degree spontaneously. They would go, those two actors would go to certain places and film themselves having awkward interactions. And when they did that, they didn't know what kind of film this was going to be. They didn't know if it was going to be a horror film or some, something else, they would just go do this, right? And in that raw sort of artistic element, I think that's when the best parts of this movie came out. When they had those interactions early on that just felt so fucking strange and so weird and so disjointed, the dialogue sequences between them. But how, just if I can throw this in here as kind of a wrench into our discussion, how crazy is it to think that these two guys, these two actors, went and seriously just had dialogues together to see how awkward they could make it. That is so cool to me to think of that kind of style of film. For some, I mean, I'm not a film guy. I don't have a degree in film. I just, I like movies. And when I heard of that, I, I, that was foreign to me. Like, that is so cool. There's almost a sense of just a, a raw artistic component to that that I don't think you would, you, you could even remotely consider and. Hollywood blockbusters. Do you know what I mean? So the found footage aspect, um, as we discussed, I think previously, just briefly in chat, it's something that I really don't typically enjoy, right? 
So when I know that a movie is going to be found footage, I have that initial reaction of, well, you know, I, I know I'm just not going to enjoy this. It's going to be hokey. It's going to be cheesy and kind of cheap. It's not going to scare me um, in any sort of like interesting way. Um, but when I watched this movie, and even after when I found out kind of their method of putting this together in such an organic way, it sort of made a lot more sense in this situation. And it actually added to one of my favorite parts of this film, which is its subtlety. So whenever you capture this sort of organic um, kind of like interplay between the two characters, you know, when it's not super structured, you can sort of tell that whatever comes out of that, like, you know, whatever their body language is, whatever their inflections and their chemistry is unplanned. They're not forcing it. They're not trying to do it on purpose. And that just makes it so much more believable and especially even more impressive that they've taken these bits of organic kind of interaction and structure them in a way that gives you this overall feeling of this unease and um, just kind of like dread that you get from this antagonist Joseph. Yeah, they took that unease, they took all of the scenes with this unease and structured it in a way that gave you a very clear narrative of what was going on. One of the things that was awesome is they did this over such a long period of time, so they had to keep the same haircuts, they had to like, like that's so cool to me, man, that you could have a project that does that. Um, just never heard of anything like that. So you're right. Like I think some of the skill is just how to take all of that and make it into something that has a structure that is going to make sense to an audience, scare them, and also have consistency to the very end. I feel like they did that very well for about 80% of the movie. This movie was so hypnotic to me, I think is the best way I could put it. I could not look away from this movie. I did not want to go to the bathroom when I was watching this movie. I didn't want to pause this movie. I was just so enamored by the unsettling fucking awkwardness of every moment between them. Um, I just, like, my jaw was kind of just, I, I was just sitting there like, is this dude not leaving? Is this really happening? And just asking questions internally. Is this guy really going to kill him? Because I thought, like, maybe he's not, right? Like, maybe the, the brilliance of this film is in making me think that because of all of these so, sort of social awkwardness, sort of, taboo things that he's doing maybe it just will end with like an appropriate way like where the guy goes all right here's your money <laughs> thank you uh, and they and they go their separate ways like at a certain point i threw that out the window but for a good part of the movie i felt like what if that happens like what does that say about me if that happens you know like, where i felt that way where it's something i was like ooh, they might take a different twist was with the whiskey and benadryl i was like Maybe Aaron's a fucking crazy bastard. What is he going to do to this poor Joseph guy who's dying from cancer? I mean, it was like maybe a two-second thought process, but I was like, who just puts Benadryl in someone's whiskey like that? Like, I don't, I don't know. That seemed a little bizarre. Um, and I think, I think at that moment, I questioned both of the characters. Um, but that was very short-lived. And there's a lot of movies like that, right? There's movies where... Um, one person takes another person with into an isolated area with bad motivations, and it ends up being the case uh, that the other person ends up being so dis so messed up by the process that they do things you don't expect. So I totally was with you on that. I thought like, oh, I wonder it's gonna like hurt. I, most of me thought, okay, he's gonna grab his keys and get the fuck out of there because that's what I would do, right? But you do wonder at a certain point. Um, the scene that sort of through just through me right was there were certain points where they were in the cabin where i was like dude i'd get out at this point like you just got to get out but then i don't know if you remember but at like really towards the end of the movie when uh when joseph send, sends him that video 
and um, says very sincerely, look, the truth is I'm a lonely person. I'm a sad person. I don't have many friends. Dude, I fucking bought that. I bought it hook, line, and sinker. And, 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 and I feel so dumb. Like, I, I just, I watch that and I go, like, I, I'm skeptical, but, like, dude, I feel so bad. Like, I felt bad and I was, like, I had something like this happen you to me. You would I, die. I would have, I would have died. In this, I'm just going to tell you right now, I have this in my notes. Literally, like, in bold, Noah would have died. I, I would have died in this film. It would have been awful. I am so gullible um, in these sort of movies. I really am. But when Joseph looks at the camera and is almost weeping and he says, look, I, I get it. I'm sorry I did all this. Like he basically takes every awkward moment, wraps it up in a package and says, here it is. I know I did this and here's why I did it. I'm really messed up. Like I am the sort of person who would buy that shit. I really am. And like my wife is like, dude, I would have left the moment he got in the bath. Like, I just, nope. Like, I <laughs> yeah, the bath. That was when Daniel was hiding. And nope, 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 nope. No tubby time. Nope. Don't want the tubby time. True story. True story. True story. I, for this, I, I may edit this out. I almost, like, just logged on with my laptop to this podcast in my tub. Like, to just do the podcast in my tub, like, from here up so that we could just hang out. I almost, I almost did that too. I swear <laughs> to you, I was thinking about doing this in the tub and then I was like, wait, I'm like, people might like that if I did it, it wouldn't be creepy. So it won't work. For me, it was totally logistical. I was like, I literally got my laptop in there and I was like, I'm gonna electrocute myself and this is gonna end poorly. So I just, I was like, no. Which part of this film is the point where if you were Aaron, you would have just fucking up and left? At oh my God. At oh my, At, like, oh my God, scene, I would have been really? out of there out of there and I've been in far too many of these weird experiences but also I, I'm I have the boobs and the vagina area and alone with a guy in a house like I think for me it would have been no uh, a lot earlier and a lot sooner than guys probably would have said no well I have to say that um, making a point like a, or a statement saying well this is the exact moment that I think that I would have left this situation it's really easy to do that when you're not in one of these situations but I think one of my favorite my maybe one of my other favorite aspects of this movie is how realistically they captured the behavior of something that you might consider like the behavior of a true psychopath. And that's definitely going to come primarily from his strong methods of manipulating Aaron. And that starts out in the very first scene, whenever he comes out to the car and he slaps it, you get that first jump scare that immediately puts him off guard. It raises his fear. You know, he's, he's just, he has no idea what to expect at that point. So he's kind of open to suggestion from Joseph who immediately sort of takes control of that situation and makes himself seem powerful. Thus associating like, you know, their whole like dominant submissive kind of relationship, the adult wolf, the baby wolf, you know, baby murder, that theme that kind of shows up several times. Immediately after that, if you notice, that's when he goes in for the first hug when he's open to the suggestion based on the fear and what that's going to release is a strong dose of oxytocin, which is that neurochemical that causes bonding between people. So immediately he sets up this control relationship, not only from fear and power, but from love and bonding. And that combination that you get sort of like back and forth, you know, it's almost a perfect trap. Like if you have that empathy like a normal person would, you're ensnared at that point. And it's really sort of believable to me that somebody wouldn't, in fact, turn him in after this, like in that latter 20% of the movie. That's what makes that so believable, that someone wouldn't escape that. Now, 
me having been trained as a, well, a, an experimental psychologist, I'll say. I'm not a clinician, an experimental psychologist. I sort of know things to look for, so maybe I would escape it faster, but this dude was incredibly convincing, so who knows? I really like the idea that Ben is proposing that, like, the, just sort of the control that Joseph has from the beginning. I, so Ben, I took that to be the nature of their relationship just by virtue of the Craigslist ad, right? So when you go, this may sound insane, this is how gullible I am, I'm realizing as I'm talking. I literally would die very quickly. But the mere fact that, like, that Joseph is the one who presented the ad and, knowed, and knows what is going on with the filming, the fact that he comes out so strong to me almost makes sense in the sense that I'm coming to him, right? Like, uh, Aaron is coming to him for the thing that's going on, for the filming. So there's almost a sense in, you know, the sort of buyer-seller uh, relationship is happening. At, You're his employee. Day. Yeah, exactly. So so it, it to me, I, because of that, I bought the the weirdness that, that, that Ben was sort of implying in this. I, I, I bought it because of that. I would have died so quick. I re- I, I'm realizing that from the beginning. I, I would have died so fast. Yeah, pro- probably the way I would have approached it is um, after, after that initial tub thing, I probably would have said, no, I'm not actually going to film you in the tub, so why don't you do your tub thing and then come on downstairs and we'll discuss some ground rules for how things are going to go if you want me to keep on filming. And then giving them an opportunity to agree to set particular you know, specific boundaries. And if he hadn't, and I'm sure he wouldn't have, and would have made some sort of like weird excuse type shit at that point, then I would have been like, all right, I'm sorry to have wasted your time. I'm out of here. That shows Aaron's naivete, though, because usually when you go into these kinds of situations, you already set the ground rules before you start recording it. And he just went, here's the cash. We're friends now. We're, we're cool. Okay, now let's just do stuff. And that is where he really flipped it on this guy. Because yes. usually what you do when you meet, you go in the house, that's when you set down the ground rules, talk about how the exchange will work, and then you go into it. Or you might even sign some contracts and things. But nope, it, he flipped it by being like, Here, here's a bunch of cash, uh, and knowing that people like cash, people love that. Here's some cash, okay, now we're friends. Now come up and videotape me in the bathtub. <laughs> Well, okay, so so Antonio, if he would have like, okay, now I'm really curious about this, Antonio, because if he would have shamed you, right? I I feel like so if I could speak for uh, Joseph, like if he would have shamed you, if his ne- if you would have uh, addressed him that way, and his next step would have been to say, well, look, um, like I gave you a thousand dollars, and I'm gonna do my best, Joseph, ready? Like I gave you a thousand dollars, and like I'm, I I don't I don't mean to make you feel awkward. This is really important to me. Um, I won't show anything. I'll get naked off screen, and I'll just kind of get into the tub. Uh, this is really important to me, man. Like, I only have three more months. Uh, you know, if he would have done something like that and worked, he, he's doing the work, right? Would you have still stayed uh, strong and said, no, I just can't do it, and you would have left? Would you have really done that? Because I would not have. I would have felt awful, and I would have done it. He, he might have been able to talk me into filming him in the tub, but... Ah, but see? But at the point where he got out of the tub, I would have, as he was getting out, I would have said... All right. Now that that's over with, I'm hope I hope you're happy with that. Now we're going to talk about you know ground rules. Since apparently I didn't make myself clear. Apparently we didn't have a, the same idea coming into this. But he would have got that scene out of you. See, that's a th- that's my. Yeah, he probably would got that scene out of me. Yeah, he would see. So he would have got that scene out of you. And I think what would have happened is he would have taken your 
no offense, your ground rules for him, and he would have pushed them to right to the limit to see. So that's really what all this is, right? Like the tub scene, the fact that he starts with the tub scene is gauging the limits of how far Aaron will go, right? I mean, I think that's pretty clear. The first step is, I'm going to get naked, hop into a tub. If you're still going to, if you're still going to film all of this, I know I got you for the rest of the shit I'm going to do. But I feel like if you would have, I'm sure many people have prior to Aaron, if he did the same thing, would have been like, no, dude, I'm awkward. And that's the sort of thing you would have done, right? Judging from all of the rest of his dialogue in the film. Um, that's, that's the real power, I think, of, of Joseph in this film is, is that navigation, being able to like navigate the empathy and the awkwardness and go, no, no, it is awkward. I, I agree with you. It's awkward. Like, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't mean to make it awkward. Here's why it's awkward. Like, he's intelligent enough to go that distance with you. That yeah. is what is so scary to me. Yeah, sociopaths play off the fact that we normal people see tend to see other people not as they are, but as we are, right? We tend to view e e other people through the lens of ourselves. That's how our empathy works. You know, that's why we feel the pain of other people. You know, we view that as though they were us, right? Um, and so um, that's that's what sociopaths exploit in order to to gain you know currency as it were social currency is is um, you know they'll start out with they'll they'll use those kinds of behaviors it's almost like a shark right like sharks will probe for weaknesses and if they see that you know after they poke you that you don't you just kind of flop limply around then they're like okay this is soft and crunchy and it's time to go in for the kill. And and uh, that's often how sociopathy works as well. You know, you 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 know, there's a lot of people out there, and so you just cast a wide net, and you go boom, 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 and then you wait and see what uh, which of the lures bob, right? And I it's an, I guess it's entirely possible that this dude, you know, had a Craigslist ad running for weeks, and you know, had all kinds of people come on over, and then just you know, Aaron Happ was the fourth one to show up or whatever, and then not freak out immediately. There are a lot of creepy Craigslist ads, and there was one in Dallas that I used to see all the time when I lived there, where this guy uh, asked if he could pay someone to paint their toenails. He really likes to paint girls' toenails, and he would pay you fifty dollars to paint your toenails. I'm like, someone's gonna die. This is this is someone gonna get killed. <laughs> someone's gonna pay you to paint their toenails. Like, nope. That's a whole lot of nope. And it came up all the time whenever I'd look on Craigslist. It, it was like a consistent, like every couple of days that was a new post from this guy wanting to paint people's toenails I, I don't know if it worked ever I don't know if anyone ever wanted that fifty dollars that bad I don't know I live in Dallas so I feel like I should respond and then see what happens and add it to the end of this like take a camera with me like right now just cut to okay I'm here I have the camera this is the person Shayra is talking about let's see what happens are, are you gonna that. are you gonna look for his ad and get the fifty bucks? Definitely look into it. I We've should. already said that you're gonna die because of this stuff, so you might as well just go do it. So one of the other things I wanted to mention is Joseph doesn't he basically stops a lot in his conversations and he waits for Aaron to talk. That is a power thing I notice, a control thing I notice that goes back to what Ben was saying, is he'll he'll say something really strange and awkward and stop. And just let wait for Aaron to say something. Doesn't matter what it is, he'll just wait. And I noticed he did that quite a few times throughout the film, the largest of which is the scene where they're in that restaurant eating like pancakes or whatever they're eating. And um, by the way, I don't know if you caught in that scene, 
like Joseph says that he used to go there all the time. It was their family place, but he doesn't know what's on the menu. Like, did you catch that? Aaron's like, you don't know what's on the menu. I did not, like, I've seen the film four times. I did not catch that till this last viewing. I, I would have died. We already know I would have died early, but I'm just going to keep throwing out how I know that, like, through and through. I, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. I just did. Anyway, but um, in that scene um, where Joseph is like, hey, I, I have to tell you something bad that I did. God, it's just, I'm getting the EBGBs just thinking of that scene where he shows him the photos, right, uh, that he took. And then he goes, so we're, we're cool, right? He just, like, he literally just got done explaining what he did, how he took photos of Aaron, how it was awkward, Aaron didn't know, and then just suddenly asks, like, we're cool. Are we cool? We're cool, right? And it's just this, I actually counted, it's 15 seconds, where you're like, there's nothing. He's just kind of staring at Aaron, and I don't know if it was because of the mumblecore sort of dialogue between them where he didn't know what to say, but I felt like that was so effective, because I was like, Oh, shit. Like, I literally just had my jaw down for the entire 15 seconds. Like, what? But I felt like that was a very uh, – and I, I started noticing from then on um, other scenes in the film where he just waits for uh, Aaron to talk. And I think that that was another more – one of the more controlling aspects. This is why I believe that Mark must have worked in sales at some point in time. And I've worked in sales – for many, many years uh, after being a Chili's hostess when I was younger. <laughs> but no, I worked in sales for many, many years, and we learn all these techniques. You know, once you do your little diatribe and get all the stuff out, you stay quiet. After you say, okay, this is this is a plan. You're going to take it. You have to stay quiet until they answer. You just look at them until they answer. There's all these power plays that I saw that Mark was doing. Either this actor just knows how to do power plays and has read certain books or he worked in sales and has actually mastered it and used it for his craft for this movie you have to appreciate how he set it up too because right before that as you mentioned i think um he actually has aaron talk about that incredibly incredibly intimate really super embarrassing story about when he's a kid and has the uh, wrist monitor for moisture and finds himself in this incredibly terrifyingly embarrassing situation so Knowing what we know about Joseph, or at least the character of Joseph, about you know his his shallowness, the the fact that he manipulates on purpose. What purpose would this have had? And it seems to be to build that trust relationship, right? So he wants Aaron to trust him right before he drops this bomb. Yeah, like sharing an intimate moment like that, asking and then getting one. I think it, it's very surprising to me, like that Aaron gave him that story. I, I would have never told him that story. I either would have made something up. I would have I would have given him something that was mildly embarrassing, but like Aaron was very genuine. That's clearly why Joseph I think liked him the most, the most, right? Of all the people that he killed, he was fell for it the best. He totally did. He totally did, and he put his heart out there for Joseph to to to, to break. Sounds like a love story. To, well, to, actually, actually, <laughs> to here's a little bit maybe from the direction of psychology towards psychoanalysis. Um, I really did pick up a sadomasochistic vibe to the movie in in a lot of different ways. There's there's a lot of moments where Joseph explicitly goes out of his way to in some way shock or embarrass or otherwise toy with um or uh Aaron, right? Um and so obviously this is cuz he's, you know, a monster, he's a, you know, sociopath and that's this is how he gets his jollies is by playing with people and then killing them, right? Um, but there's an aspect of that to Aaron as well, because the way that he keeps on going along with it is that he's getting a form of 
of empathic gratification, right? When, whenever he assents, whenever something shocking happens and he goes no initially, and then he assents afterward, that's the masochistic element, right? Where he goes, no, i.e., this is uncomfortable, this is painful, I don't like it, etc., etc., but he goes along with it because he gets kind of a rush to, you know, now he's helping out this unfortunate soul. He's showing empathy to somebody who wouldn't otherwise be empathized with. And this is exactly, of course, the emotion that Joseph plays off of to finally finish him off at the end is the notion of, oh, come on, you know, you really want to show up and go and, and see me and go, oh, I'm going to be the bigger man here. Let's all you know, put let bygones be bygones and lay the past to rest and find an understanding with each other, right? And that's and, and so that's the masochism, right? He enjoys the the fact that Joseph is socially awkward and weird and that nobody else would put up with the shit that he's putting up with, right? So that's special. So it's not it's not a love story. It's not a love story, but it's kind of a hate fuck story in a way. <laughs> Well, it's really not too far off, I, I don't think. Um, you have to think about the situation. Okay, so when they went to the heart rock, right, and Joseph draws J and A and then puts the heart around it, right, or whatever that is, that has, I mean, obviously it has a very clear romantic vibe. But we really have to think about a little bit more about Aaron, too, because while they're on the path, if you remember, Joseph asks him, you know, if if you died, you know, is there anybody that you would have to, like, make amends with or however he phrases that question? He's basically asking Aaron, who he's most connected with in his life and his answer is his ex so we already know that aaron's a fairly lonely person and he's probably oh, desperate for that. I never right so he's he's a super desperate person and just really wants to make that kind of personal connection which probably also makes him more susceptible to the manipulations that we see throughout the film yeah at no point in time does aaron ever reach out to any friends or family about the situation we only hear a, a short little conversation with the cops but I mean, usually if you have someone you're intimate with, uh, even a best friend, you might be like, dude, this guy is freaking me out, guys. Like, you won't even believe it. He didn't talk to anybody about it. I mean, that might have just been a logistical thing because it's just the two of them making the film. But or this it, dude is stalking me. Why don't I go stay over at a friend's house for a week? Right. I, I think he was very lonely, a very sad person, um, and probably was maybe hoping that someone would be their friend. But when you pull a locket out of a dog's butt that makes music, I think at that point you might question the relationship just a little bit and not go sit on the park bench. Noah would go sit on the park bench after pulling a locket out of a dog's butt, but... <laughs> done, it, done it many times. Done it many times. What can I say? There's also the element, it's not even just a, a friendship lonely or romantic element. Um, the thing that Daniel and I were talking about, it's daddy issues. Like, Aaron clearly has some daddy issues, and Joseph maybe a little bit is playing on that. I mean, what did he say when he goes to his rental home? You know, these are some paintings my dad, dad and I made together, and, you know, just playing off of this daddy issues thing. Like, he picked up that Aaron had those and just milked it, and then by the time we moved further in, Aaron's having dreams about him being the baby wolf, and, and Joseph is the big wolf, and he's giving him a bath in the tub, and it's like, holy crap, this guy has daddy issues. More, more to the point, as far as the psychosexual element, isn't it? Did, did anyone else catch the heavy implication that Joseph was beating off at the end? Yes, yes, I did, I did. Now I got too excited when I said that. I'm sorry. That was <laughs> Noah liked that part. <laughs> He's breathing heavily. I thought that was odd. Okay, sorry. Yeah, yes. The answer is yes. 
No, yeah, there's definitely a sexual element and a romantic element, uh, but it was all wrong. And this goes right back to some of these other films we've watched. I know that you said that there probably wouldn't be a connection. This one does still have a connection. It's These are wrong relationships. These are wrong, bad relationships. Every single one of these things is about toxic, bad relationships. Just no relationships. Say no to them. Um, so I, I do notice that, and there is also the elements of... Uh, issues with maybe parental figures that are somewhere deep down inside of the uh, storyline and theme as well. Oh my so. god, it's so funny. So the last two the last two sessions we did, that theme unknowingly has come up and one of the benefits of having this podcast is that it's been even even though we've joked about it a little bit is it's actually like really made me think about it. And then when we got to this film I was like this isn't one of those films. This isn't one of those films. Uh, they're not going to be able to throw that mom and dad shit into this one. Watch. And you did. And you fucking did. And it makes sense. And it makes sense. I, did, I didn't even catch that in the movie. i got to be honest with you. I've seen the film four times, and I did not catch that. Now we're going to have to try and see if Event Horizon has mom and dad. <laughs> and if that's like the correlating factor. That's what makes it scary is people with serious parental issues are just freaked the fuck out by Event Horizon. <laughs> you know, I, I feel like you're foreshadowing uh, truths that I'm not going to want to accept in the next couple weeks. So thanks. Thanks, guys. One way to expand on that, though, like one point that I really want to make, especially if we go back to the, the tubby time scene or whatever. So something that we noticed, and I guess this was an idea that got um, popularized in the 80s about serial killers having kind of this, this ritual that they go through, right? So like the way that they kill is sort of it sort of plays out a fantasy that they have and they kind of do it the same way every single time and just sort of perfect that method. So I'm wondering if that is one insight that we can glean into the way Joseph does this is through his little tubby time thing, right? So this, it's okay. So one of the hardest things to really determine throughout the course of this movie is what is real and what is just total bullshit made up by Joseph just to be manipulative. And I think this, I think this tub scene might be one of the more sincere scenes. I think he might be hearkening back to a memory that he has and possible abuses that he experienced that would have been sort of like the traumatic experience early in childhood that kind of spawned this. Not to mention the peach fuzz thing and his obsession with scaring people. You know, I don't know. I really think that there's this crazy abusive relationship that he had with his dad. And that's kind of what he's playing out every time he has one of these killings. I agree 100%. I felt the exact same way when I was watching this. Uh, I, like, the tubby time made me think that that's how his dad must have interacted with him and how he was saying he would interact with his son, his unborn child, supposed unborn child. And I, I felt like it went to a level where I was like, ooh, did somebody touch him in a bad way? <laughs> like, that's, that's where my thoughts well, that's went actually, to. That's actually a really good observation, Tyler, because he goes, he, he, he's clearly self-conscious of the fact that he's acting, you know, based on what, what we know later in the film. We know he's clearly self-conscious of the fact that he's acting creepily when he's doing all this talking about Buddy and doing all this, like, weird, cuddly shit and blah, blah. Like, we know from later in the movie that he's clearly aware that this is coming off really creepy to the other dude, and it's just one more way that he toys with them, right? Um, and, but, but you do have to ask yourself, you know, we know who Angela is. Who's Buddy? Right. And if you ask yourself who Buddy is, I think it's it is probably Joseph's true ego, as it were. Yeah, there might be another theme to draw here in terms of uh, when he puts on the peach fuzz mask, too, because we know that his dad made this mask and that was kind of like his thing that he used and that, you know, perhaps he might have used this to scare Joseph as a child. 
but he later on in life took on the mask. Well, yeah, exactly right. So he's sort of taken on this mask, and I think at the end, whenever whenever uh, Aaron finds him out and he runs down to the door and puts on the mask, what he's actually doing there is taking off his mask and showing his true face because he's become this monster. There's also kind of a Jekyll and Hyde element too, right? Because when, when he's wearing the mask is when he's capable of violent acts. You don't see him commit violent acts without the mask on. You know, the, the, the most violent thing you see him do without the mask on is snip off a lock of hair while the dude's sleeping. Um, other than that, the only times that he actually, like, you know, does something dramatic is when he's got the mask on and he runs downstairs and blocks the door. And then, of course, at the end of the movie where he puts the mask on and fucking acts as Aaron. And, and so there's also, there's an element of, of when I'm not, when, when the mask is not on, he's contained within the shell of Joseph, as it were. You know, this dissimulating, seemingly harmless personality that pushes boundaries but doesn't actually ever do anything to you, right? And it's when the mask comes on, that's when you have to get worried. One could say that uh, Peach Fuzz is uh, akin to Nietzsche's mustache. Throw that out there. He was, yeah. th- he was in the Nietzschean way throwing off the chains of plebeian standards of harmony and lyrics. Honestly, um, one, of the, one of the things that we, you know, Joseph is a cipher in most of the movie, which is one of my criticisms of the film, is they could have really made the character more robust and fleshed out than just a generic sociopath. But one of the things that, that is actually kind of interesting is that um, they do reveal about his philosophy that he has a socially Darwinistic view of the world in some ways, right? And this is, they, they don't reveal it so much as they heavily imply it. And it's because um, Joseph seems to try to gear Aaron at multiple points toward a physical confrontation. You know, he says that stuff about, you know, you look like you wanted to kill me. He blocks the door, you know, Um, and and he seems almost, although he speaks of it fondly, he sounds almost disappointed when he's like, you didn't even turn around. Why weren't you even that suspicious, you know, in spite of all the other precautions you took? Um, And it really feels like, and then, of course, he sends him a knife in the mail. And and he didn't need to because he doesn't use the knife to open the stuffed animal up. So um, and so you have to ask yourself why. And 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 the answer seems to be coming back to the idea that he wants someone who sees through him enough to take him on one man to man and kill him. Basically, it's a death wish thing. It's like an an, an extremely extended death wish where um, if you you fa- if you fail the test, if you don't end up finally breaking and confronting him, finding the wolf within, right? Um, then he'll just kill you. Well, once he's figured out, like, he, you know, he saw him oh looking away towards the Oh my god, that's so fucked up. I'm sorry. I, like, I imagine him as the baby wolf, and then daddy wolf is disappointed because you didn't actually manage to kill they murder daddy their own. He says that they He says that they murder their own, right? Man, that makes total sense to me, but I think I saw it just a little bit differently. So thinking about this as a psychopath, right, like how is this person really going to think and interacting with the people around them? So we know that they have a limited emotional set, right? There's only certain things that they can feel, and that set is reduced compared to the average person, particularly because of empathy. However, one sort of ironic point about these kinds of people is that they crave stimulation. They need kind of like that input and that excitement. And one of the few sources that they have for that is going to be fear, like that baser instinct, something more kind of like associated to the limbic area, that kind of a thing. 
So if he sees in somebody perhaps that ability to appreciate fear in the same way that he does, that might be one of the few instances that he has where he could have a chance at having a real sort of experience. And it might explain why he kind of wanted to foster that in Aaron when he saw it, you know, when Aaron uh, had that look on his face where he just wanted to kill him or when he slipped in the Benadryl and he's like, you know, that was, that was a pretty good move or, you know, that was a smart move or however he said it. You know, there might have been some genuine point there where he really saw that as kind of a connecting feature. There's also an aspect of projection, right? Because um, um, the way that, that Joseph speaks of qualities that he likes or, or notes particularly in Aaron, they're the qualities that Joseph himself exemplifies at different points in the movie. Like where, where he says, you look like you wanted to kill me. He, I mean, Joseph himself is the killer. When he, say, when he talks about, about the potential lack of control lurking just underneath the surface, he's talking about himself as much as he is talking about anybody else, right? Um, when he talks about the potential for violence, he's talking about himself more than he's talking about anybody else. When he says that he sees a wolf inside of, uh, inside of Aaron, he also is obviously sees a wolf inside of himself, right? And in fact, explicitly admits to it. Um, so there's also an element of psychological projection on both, on both parties, right? So where, where the qualities that Aaron wants to see in another person, he sees in Joseph, to the to a fault right and in kind of a weird inverse sinister way joseph sees the qualities that he wants to see in aaron almost to a fault but of course he has the upper hand in the relationship holy shit i never thought that's beautiful <laughs> I never, like i never thought of that i never really thought of the projection elements in the film you're absolutely right i feel this is one of those times where i feel like i should actually even after this podcast i should go back and just kind of look for that. I'd never thought of that. Wow. That's why I brought you guys on. This is why you're here. I always thought that this film sort of ended with exploring sort of the concepts between how we dance between, I don't know, I, I don't want to say a malevolence, but like a um, just dancing between sincerity and insincerity or a social facade and our sort of genuine interactions with people. But I think you're right. Just judging from this conversation, it's making me look at this film as a much more complex film. That has to, has a lot more psychoanalytical and a light a lot more um, a lot more psycho psychological concepts worth considering that I never really considered. This is maybe the first film where I've really been like, holy shit, I need to go back and watch it again. After talking about it with you guys, I definitely realized this is a more complicated movie than I had thought I had watched initially, and that and that it is much more carefully made than I had initially supposed. Yeah, I, I felt like this film was like, um, I mean, it, this is my attempt to be poetic, forgive me, because it's going to be awful. It was almost like jazz. It was very writing the riffs. It was very looking for things in the film that you would say, that or that are appropriate to say, but instead you see Joseph. It's almost writing the dissonance. It's the things that are just, you don't expect, that are awkward, they don't belong. And finding that and seeing that throughout the film, I, that's really cool to me, right? Like I, I saw myself in the film saying the complete opposite of everything Aaron is saying. And so sort of finding myself in that film was, I think, the enjoyment that I got out of it. I literally, like, I may just watch the film right after this because I, I miss some It's of only it. an hour and 17 minutes long. Yeah, it's very and short. It's, it's pretty short, and it, it, I think I appreciated that. I think far too many of these horror films are going to, like, the two-hour, two-hour, 15-minute place, and I'm like, you didn't need to do that. Like, <laughs> just get to the point. I liked that it was shorter. Um, I liked the rawness of it. I like the... Um, the ability for the actors to 
be so into it. They they were all of it. They were the film. They embodied their film. They cared about it. They nurtured it. This is their baby. This was their buddy. <laughs> and, and they took such good care of it, I think. Um, but obviously, they had a low budget. I can't wait to see what stuff. If this is where they start, I can't see where they go. I, I can't wait to see where they go from here. Like, I, I think it'll be great. In terms of the uh, the appreciation versus the enjoyment here, I really did find this to be an enjoyable film. But in terms of the balance of content, like after I watched it the second time, which I did watch it two times just so I could have, you know, sort of both takes of this, it's so much more heavily weighted toward the the appreciation side that it's not even a contest. <clears throat> and, you know, it's, it's definitely because of some of the reasons that we've discussed already. But also there, there's one more layer that we haven't touched on. And so earlier on, I discussed a little bit um, about the, the methods of manipulation that Joseph uses encompassing fear and also encompassing love. But there was a third method that he used that I found incredibly just, just fascinating and perfect, and it's death. He uses, manipul- or he uses death here as a manipulation not only to, to sort of um, connect with Aaron, right? Like so whenever they, uh, they come to the, the cabin the first time and they're standing there in front of the stairs and, and Joseph tells his cancer story, he's bridging that gap, the gap, I think, between fear and between love. The fear, of course, that we have, that existential dread that we know that we all share, that ultimate empathic connector, but also his sympathy and love for that other person because he knows that that's you know, a terrible thing. That's something we all want to avoid. So it was just an absolute perfect usage of that I think as a manipulation, but one of the terrifying things I think that that we get from this is because it was so organic and because it was kind of off the cuff, even though it was sort of structured really well, is that, is that um, the one that played Joseph, I forget his actual name, but he has to have been drawing from somewhere to get this so perfect and just right. And that's, that's a little bit, um, that's a little bit disconcerting, you know, where is he getting this perfect depiction of what it means to have like this antisocial personality disorder? Yeah. I, I, I had to wonder, uh, the story of raping his wife with the mask on, the story of tubby time with his dad, the uh, story of the dad wearing the mask, the, all of these little elements that that Mark brought to this role of Joseph. I have to... I have to know what his childhood was like. I just want to hear. I'm going to be like, what the heck happened to you? Drawing from this on the fly it makes it manif- in a very manifest way even more dark, even more odd, even more insidious. Like, you you want to ask the actor, Mark Duplass, like, hey, man, like, where, what, like, what the fuck? Like, what, what the, just really, what the fuck? Um, and then, and then the other thing I, uh, I wanted to say, uh, kind of piggybacking off what Ben was saying is the idea of death. One of the scenes that struck me when Ben was talking is, is the scene where after um, he gets drugged with the whiskey and the, uh, and the pills, but it comes out into kind of the back of the patio and the camera turns and you just see Joseph and he says, we're going to die. I'm going to die. And he just starts weeping and he says, I don't want to die, Aaron. Like, I just don't want to die. And I seriously, like, so embarrassing. Like, I really almost wept when I watched that. I was like, I know this guy's a motherfucker. And he's, I know there's, dupl- there's knowing there's duplicity. I still am like, I get it. And that bothered me. Far from condemning yourself for the sentiment, Noah, that 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 level of empathy in the face of contrary fact is what is what enables humanity. I mean, at at the end of the day, you know, to to put sort of put this into a happier place, or or maybe even put my Christian apologist hat on for a second, um, you know, for theodicy purposes, um, you know, there this is this is this is 
it enables great evil to take place, that people have this level of empathy even when they're presented with counterfactuals, right? But it's also a great boon that people continue to behave empathically even when presented with great counterfactuals. That's what sainthood is, is behaving empathically with great counterfactuals, basically. You know what I mean? Um, and and the, many of the morally great things that have been achieved in human history have been achieved precisely because people were willing to continue empathizing and continue reaching out despite the fact that they were getting, you know, dogs set on them and thrown in prison. And, you know, you know what I mean? And they were willing to continue being peaceful and nonviolent and compassionate and empathic in the face of all that. That's incredibly powerful. So I don't, I, you know, don't, don't hit yourself for that. The fact that you die to a serial killer, there's not that many serial killers. There's a lot more people who need your love than people who are going to exploit it. I feel so good about myself. Thank you. I agree. No, no, you, you are a good person. You have not been embittered by the shitty world that you've grown up in, and that's good. You've, you've maintained your humanity through all the shit. That's good. That's but a so, thing. It's like, yeah, I, so I appreciate that, but it's like, it's almost, too, so what this film made me think about and wonder about is if it's, if it's to a fault, right? Like, I, right. What's I, the line I, between empathy and abuse? Exactly. Exactly. That's a perfect way to put it. So, so that's, I think that's why I have this film as one of the ones to kind of think about for me is, is it, it, there is a line there, right? There is a line between empathy and abuse. And um, this is just, this is the Noah like psychoanalysis hour. That I'm changing the name of this the Noah psychoanalysis hour. Have you ever wondered if you struck someone else as the Joseph? I know I have. I oh, know I, I yeah. I'm okay. Joseph all the time. I think that's sort of the part we maybe can all get when we watch this movie is that there is that kind of so some of if we look at it benign in a benign way, some of the elements of awkwardness, if we if we strip the sociopathic elements of the film and just purely talk about some of maybe of the more benign elements, like I, I think that that part, first off, that's like a large part of what I got from this film. You guys are in some whole deep shit that I didn't even think about. I, I've been Joseph before. I have. I've I've put on the weird wolf mask and danced around and scared someone. I'm sure I'm sure I've done that a million times, but um uh, somehow I managed to find somebody who would marry me, so I guess it's not all bad. But I, I think we all have our Joseph moments, and maybe that's where that empathy comes from, why we can understand why Aaron might try to empathize, because we see a little bit of Joseph in ourselves. Or maybe just you happen to make friends with people who are like Joseph, and it just shows how <laughs> gullible you are, and you're about to get an axe in your head right behind you. Okay, so... Um... Yeah, definitely thinking about that, about the Joseph and all of us, right? So I notice about myself, okay, so like I had an interest in psychology originally, right? Like that's why I went to school. Super interesting. And why is that? Well, they say about psychology that it's kind of the mother of all control mechanisms because you're really just sort of studying people to understand and like regulate behavior in some weird way. But I notice this um, coming out of myself like more whenever I get like upset, right? Like, you know, I don't use that against people. I don't think about that in my normal interactions about like pulling these levers and doing these weird, crazy control things. But whenever I get really upset with somebody, I notice it coming out of myself. And there was an example of this not too long ago that I'm really not proud of. But it was in um, one of these debate groups on Facebook. And it's, uh, it's one of the guys that uh, several of us have kind of like had contentions with and nobody really appreciates sort of the style of his kind of arguments and debate because essentially he just sort of 
whenever you make a really well-reasoned argument, he just kind of like pokes at you and laughs at you and dismisses it. So I got to a point with him where I was so upset that I actually pulled what I knew about him from like his real life and tried to use it to just like embarrass him and upset him as much as possible. But just because I was really upset, right? Like this isn't something that I would use in normal everyday, you know, uh, interactions. But I do think we all have that ability because it comes from our ability to to take the mind of another person. Like we all have that, right? We can look in someone else's perspective. We can make a theory of their mind. And so we know kind of like what sort of things we could use and do to elicit certain reactions. I, I not only think that, but I think especially in relational contexts um, that that we are actually different people with different uh, with different people. You know what I mean? Like uh, having been married previously, I can tell you for a fact that, that my relationship with my ex-wife was such that I was really a different person, not only to her, but to other people around me at the time. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm not the same person that I was when I was with my ex-wife. I'm a completely different, not completely different, recognizable. But there's significant elements in my personality and how I deal with interpersonal conflict and things like that that are substantially different from how I did it in the previous relationship. Yeah, the, the idea, I, the term I, I know from philosophy is your fractal self, right? You're, you're different compared to, you're different in terms of your relationships. Even same relationships with, for example, spouses, but just under different circumstances, different spouses. But no, this is, this is interesting because uh, I find that, okay, so I was, I was also a student of psychology. Um, and so now I'm like mind blown because um, there was something that always came up when I was studying psychology. They're like, okay, so what's wrong with you? Because there's this running gag that if you're studying psychology, you're really just trying to figure out what the hell's wrong with yourself. Um, and so that was always the joke we would make at each other. Okay, so what's wrong with you? You're studying psychology. Um, and now I'm like, oh gosh, I'm pretty sure Joseph might be a student of psychology. Like that must be the <laughs> element. But I also like what you had to say about the differences the way you act with different relationships. I remember studying in anthropology, they were talking about how there could be something that happened to you. You're going to tell that story differently to your friends, to your spouse, to your grandparents, to your mom and dad. Like it's going to be a different story every time you tell it to a different person. So you're, you're essentially a bunch of different people inside of yourself um, and how you interact with others, strangers or whoever, your teachers. It's going to depend on your relationship with them and how you communicate with them. I have this weird feeling that Joseph probably interacts the same way with everybody, though. <laughs> I don't know. But I feel like he might be the same with every person, and that's what makes him extra well, creepy. That, that's what makes him a sociopath, is he's, is he's just running a, a manipulation algorithm on everybody. Like, there is no real Joseph as such. It's just the, how he can exploit. What, what mask can I put on to exploit this next person? You know? The Joseph algorithm. Fucking awesome. <laughs> awesome. I love that. That's the sequel right there. So we could, if we could wrap this up, what, just like all of the other movies that we did, what would you rate this film on a scale of 1 to 10? Right? And I'll start. So for, uh, you know, for It Follows, I gave that a, a solid 9.5. I think for Let Me In, I gave it a 6.5 uh, out of 10. I think for this film, I would give it a, a good 8. A good 8 out of 10, um, primarily just because it left me in the same raw state of being unsettled for a long portion of the film. A great amount of this film left me, the entire time left me enamored in a way that even It Follows, which is probably my favorite horror film of the last 20 years, 
didn't even leave me feeling. It left me so stuck in like, uh, like my with my hair on my skin raised. Like I, very few films do that for me. I would give it an eight only because it would have a higher score, but only that last segment of the film felt so disjointed from everything else that I have to. I, just can't give it above an 8. So I would give it an 8 out of 10. What about you guys? I, I say 6.5 out of 10. Ah, this is your lowest since you've this been This is my here. lowest today. Yeah. And, and it's because it, it, it's a movie with flashes of brilliance. It has elements that are just absolutely well-crafted, absolutely brilliant. And so it, it's, it's, like a, it's like a caduceus or what have you, right? There's like, there's like a, a core that's like fairly brilliant, or there's, a, there's, a, there's this twining that's fairly brilliant, and then there's this core that's kind of just bullshit, right? And there's there's so many implausible elements in the plot. Um, the the movie tries to kind of balance a stalker movie with a found footage movie in a way that I didn't think was ultimately all that successful. Um, the antagonist is a cipher. There's no real character development for for either of the characters in the movie. Uh, arguably more for Aaron. Um, and the movie is is ultimately premised on the explicit, which I found a little bit insulting, on the explicit notion that the cameraman is dumb as a post, right? Like, <laughs> like it's he explicitly like there's someone he you're, breaks. You know, you're calling ball. Noah that. At this I know. Movie, I was though. like, no, yeah, it's not. Breaks ball in the movie to say this dude is dumb as a post, right? And so, so I found that kind of insulting to the to, as as far as a horror movie, it's a cheap way to go it's really easy to make a dumb person get killed it's much harder to make a a more believable realistic person get killed and so for 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 its for its capitulation to the mundane and obviously trying to set itself up for a long running franchise of really low budget knockoffs um i have to lower the score down to 6.5 out of 10 it's got flashes of brilliance so i did like it i it was a great tone piece but it's got these these thetans that just kind of glommed on. <laughs> well, Did you seriously call it thetans? <laughs> oh yeah, amazing. I went there. I would have given this a seven, but the absolute discomfort in my husband just brought me so much happiness and joy. So I have to bring it up to an eight. Um, his pacing around the house, just saying no, 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 constantly. It, I, I don't know what kind of, I don't know how to explain that kind of joy. It. It makes me so happy, and I love it. Um, uh, but also just the fact that when it ended, you know, Daniel's reaction was just kind of like, okay, it's over. It's like, he, it, it was like he came, you know. Oh, okay, it's done. <laughs> you know, and, and I think his reactions made it for me, which is something I, I did talk about with the movie Scream. The reactions of the audience and everything, I kind of fed off of it and it made it a, a much more enjoyable film for me. So... Uh, based on my audience I was watching it with, it, it brought it up to an 8. All right, well, I'm going to have to say uh, that this movie gets a 7 from me. And the bulk of that comes from the fact that it's just, it's it's the sheer symbolic value. I feel like I could watch this and take it apart in 30-second slivers and say something meaningful about every segment of movie that I pull out of that. Um, and the fact that they've achieved that, combining with the fact that you know it's done in such an incredibly understated and subtle way, I feel like it has a lot of artistic value in that way. It loses points for me because of the limits, I think, of the, the way that it was filmed, right? So, like, it was organic, which was good in some sense, but also gave it limitations in another. I think it lacked effective depth. I think there was more that they could have done with it in that sense. And, you know, as good as this was of a found footage film, it still was found footage. So that leaves me a little bit underwhelmed. But, yeah, a good solid seven, I'll say. 
Uh, so thank you for watching. I appreciate you taking the time to check this out. As always, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter at the Deadly Analysis Podcast. Uh, thank you for taking the time to watch. I think our next film will be, oh God, I have to shiver while I say this, uh, will be on Event Horizon, which is uh, the scariest movie I have ever seen. And there are people here laughing at me that you cannot see right now because some people don't think it's the scariest movie they've ever seen because they're wrong, scientifically and demonstrably wrong. But anyway, we'll get into that next week. So uh, thank you for taking the time to watch this. And uh, as always, check us out on our social media. Thanks again.